Tony Football Show says Happy Easter from the Christian Resurrection at the Emirates to the Passion at Goodison to Gary Neville Cross. It's certainly been topical. We round up all the news from home and abroad and bring you a big look forward to the midweek action too. It is the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Turning up today at the Totally Studios, it's hello, Jack Lang. Hi, James. Buongiorno to James Horncastle. Hello, James. And hello again to Michael Cox. Hi, James. Hi. You all well? Yeah. Yes. Feeling Easter, Michael? Yeah. I enjoyed the football part of it. Right. Not as much as Graham Mears is feeling Easter. He wants an Easter 11. Ooh. He's set us on our way by nominating Gabriel Jesus and Rochdale's Joe Bunny. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I liked how the referee for the Juventus Fiorentina game was Pasqua, which right. is Easter in Italian. And it was played on Easter Saturday. Mm. Right. Uh, but do you want, Jack, do you want more Easter team nominations? Because the listeners have been busy with this. <laughs> I think you're going to give them to me either way. So, yeah. You'll like it uh, when you hear Tony Barrett say Frankie Bunn and Chick Carnley. I must have never heard of Michael. No. Have you heard of Steve Cross? Yes. And Jermaine Easter? That's Tom S. Yeah, Jermaine Easter's legit. Paul Bowles with a bit of reach says Jermaine Penance. I quite like mm-hmm. that. Ooh, Dave Payne says Bongo Christ. <laughs> Christ Bongo Zanoni, of course, former Congolese football player. Maybe have Pontius Jansen or Pontius yeah, Jansen. Yeah, yeah Pontius. Adored Devils has Philip Lamb. Atletico Madrid's Coke. His full name is Coke Resurrection. Oh, that's good, yeah. Of course, with those... Catholic names, you're always likely to get something like that. You are. In there. Resurrection's yeah. decent, though. That, that is pretty good, isn't it? Right. Johnny Blaine, though, I think probably wins this. As he says, it would be wrong of me not to point out that this Nigerian player, who's probably going to feature at the 2019 Women's World Cup, Esther Sunday. Oh, man, <laughs> that is good. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, listen, I hope you enjoyed that. There's loads more fun like that on the way, eh, Jack? <laughs> on a weekend that so. saw no change for the leading two in the Premier League. Brighton's point at Wolves, which is quite a surprise, leading Cardiff all but down. And ahead of a visit from Man City, Man United getting handed their worst defeat in years. Let's start with all the drama <laughs> at Goodison Park. Was it Everton's best performance in years or just an exceptionally poor Man United? Well, Marco Silva said that this is kind of in line with what they've been doing at home recently. Uh, where they've beaten Chelsea and Arsenal. Mm. And he said that the only difference really in this performance is that they were maybe a little bit more clinical than they had been because they'd been creating good, if not better, chances in those other games and hadn't always taken them. And in this game, you have to take your hat off to them. They did. They punished United. It could have been a lot worse for United. Um, And I think there were a number kind of standout performance really for for Everton. I thought Richarlison from the start caused them problems. It was a shame to see him go off injured. At that point, I think United were probably breathing a sigh of relief, but they couldn't because Everton kept coming for them. And yeah, just from set pieces alone, um, Everton were a problem. You know, scoring from long throw-ins. You know, yeah. Luca Dean was kind of involved in in, in a lot of the goals. Um, and yeah, it, it does seem to that Everton are ending this season on a high. Right, Luca Dean with that mammoth throw which set up the mm. the, the opening goal, but as well as set Great pieces as well for the yeah. second. 
Uh, Luca Deans, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is one of those, a couple of breakaway moves, kind of Man United-esque, kind of classic United-style breakaways. One was from a United corner, which Everton scored from another time. I think it was a throw-in down by the yeah. it, by the United corner and Everton just bombing upfield. A Sigurdsson with the goal on that one. Yeah, he's a funny player, Sigurdsson. I'm never overwhelmingly impressed by him in when I watch him for 90 minutes, but he does provide... Uh, great moments of of quality in terms of long range shots, in terms of set pieces, and and this was a a good goal. Though I was surprised to hear was quite so far from it. You wouldn't say it was a goalkeeping mistake to concede the goal, but he was absolutely miles away from it. And he's he's letting a few strange ones. There was that Xhaka one at Arsenal that swerved a bit, and obviously the Messi one in in midweek. Um, but yeah, Sigurdsson is. Uh, very good from that range. Zito here saying De Gea treating long shots like emails at 4.30pm on a Friday afternoon. What's, what's happened to him particularly from long shots, Jack? It's a good question. I think here he would probably uh, point to the fact there was just no closing down whatsoever. So on, on the Sigurdsson one, Sigurdsson drifts to the left. I think it's Matic comes out to meet him. Matic shows him inside and then lets him go, perhaps thinking the job is done. But there's still three players on the edge of the box. I think Dallo is one, Lindelof, Lindelof another. And they don't go to him at all so he's got you know 10 meters of space I think De Gea could argue that you give someone of that quality that kind of space in that area and there's a decent chance he will punish you perhaps you know I would agree with Michael that De Gea was a little bit slow to it but the lack of desire in the United defending uh, in front of De Gea I think is a mitigating factor here there were other moments that uh, you can point to De Gea throwing the ball out to Diego Diego Dallo and he's just completely looking the other way slack stuff all over really and I think it's it's notable how little leadership there is in this side. You look at someone like and Herrera. I don't think Herrera is the greatest footballer in the world, and it it looks like he's going to leave. But it, it is notable, I think, when you take him out of the side. There's no one snarling at the other players. There's no one setting the tone. I would say that anger and aggression are fairly overrated things in football. But you look at a team like United, who's got no natural leader really, right? And someone just to grab the other players by the scruff of the neck now and again I think is really important and that they're going to need someone like that in the summer. Well one man who wants to do that, one man who's got snarling and anger is Gary Neville I loved how he said, my blood is boiling and that was before (laughs) kickoff. They were outrun by Everton Everton (laughs) We were rancid So he talked about uh, knotweed which you're probably familiar with you Michael, (laughs) knotweed no. It's a really... Japanese not weed. Japanese not. Once it gets in, once it infests your whatever oh, great yeah, space, yeah. good okay. luck, you know, you, that's over, game over. And I'm not sure, he, he's he's steered very clear of nominating who he thinks represents Japanese not weed in, in the locker room. But, but Stefan asked the question, was Mourinho actually right when he called finishing second with this United his biggest achievement ever? And also, what the hell is the deal... With Pog- uh, Stefan's blood is boiling as well, I think. Uh, what the hell is the deal with Pogba? Will he go down in history as a wasted opportunity? Did Pirlo and co make him look better at Juve? What, what's happening with him? I think uh, Juventus actually very miss a player like Pogba. Um, in terms of, I mean, he had a um, he had a great run of form when Solskjaer came and, and got the job. I think more more generally speaking, I, I, I thought there was a lot of people were quick in their reaction on on Sunday to say, ah, uh, Mourinho wasn't the problem. No, Mourinho was a problem definitely. Mm. This this doesn't absolve him of of, uh, of everything that went on in his in his time of charge because clearly there was a toxicity there which he kind of enabled. But yeah, everyone has pointed out that they lack a sporting director. That they seem very half-hearted about going about recruiting a sporting director. I think it's okay. Um, doing business with these super agents because they've got 
top talent. But you, what you need a sporting director for is someone who does all the homework, all the due diligence on what kind of characters these players are and whether they fit into the culture that you are looking to set up within your within your club. And I think that is something that United have lacked because it's clear that they have got very talented players in a, in a lot of positions. Not all positions, but a lot of positions. But whether they've got people who mesh together and uh, create the kind of right uh, group um, for, for them to be successful. I think that's where they've fallen short. And, mm. and that's where a sporting director makes his money more than, for example, going and finding value, going and finding players that are functional to the team. That is a, that is a massive a massive part of a sporting director's job and they've come, they've come up short in it. Mm. Solskjaer, who meanwhile was almost being parodied for his relentless positivity, finally cracking this time around <laughs> and actually calling the players out. I loved him getting asked on Match of the Day. The uh, the interviewer says, Ole, I know you've got a, a tough match coming up on Wednesday, Manchester Derby. In a way, is that the, just the kind of game you need now from these players? <laughs> I don't know what his mouth said, but his eyes said, no, 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 no. He looked haunted. And I think there's, there's a very good chance if they play a similar way and with City having had a touch more rest than they had before the Spurs game, I think that could very easily be a an embarrassing evening for United. And then they'll have Another. Chelsea next up at the weekend as wow. well and everything can just unravel. Well, they're in a terrible situation. I mean, they went early with the appointment. If they hadn't done that, would they be appointing him now for next season? I don't think they would. I think they'd be looking for another manager now. So <laughs> I, I, I don't I don't quite know what they should do now. But it, to me, it feels like they should almost go back on their word and say things have fallen apart. Let's get a manager in with more experience at the top of the league. Anyway, right. So, yeah, what's going to happen on Wednesday then? A United team who've scored... Uh, well, there's a, they've only had one non-penalty goal scorer in the entire month of April, and that's Scott McTominay. Okay. Wow, and their only goal against City in the reverse fixture was a penalty, which I think was their only shot on target as well. Wow. So. And only one shot on target in this game against Everton in the 86th Well, minute. and this, this is the other thing that people have pointed out about Solskjaer. When things were going well the XG numbers show that they were doing better than they ordinarily should have done. And now that that's caught up with them. Um, I think other things have caught up with them as well. The chase, trying to get back into the, the top four and the number of injuries that had piled up um, and players coming back and they're not fully fit. A lot of people were pointing fingers at the the attitude of the players when it came to them tracking back and running after players. I think there's a, there's a general shortness of fitness there as well, which is uh, which is now really putting things against United I think the City game comes at a really bad time for them um, I think it's going to be damage damage limitation for them Well this Everton game came five years to the day Jack after that 2-0 defeat which saw the end of David Moyes' spell in charge of Man United this Manchester derby could, could well bring back memories of a, another game from that era that 6-1 defeat the Mario Balotelli Why Always Me yeah, I, I'd be surprised if we have ever have a T-shirt quite as good as that on the Premier League stage. Right. But this could we have a scoreline similar? Do you think midweek? It wouldn't surprise me enormously. I actually, I actually thought City, especially when they, if we just move on to that match, maybe I thought City having scored early would actually rack up a few against Spurs because they look they look really in the mood for it. Didn't quite pan out like that, and I, I would say that tiredness was an issue there for both teams. In fairness, but with with a little more rest, and if City, uh, you know play the way we know they can there's definitely an anger there in the side you, you saw it in Phil Foden's celebration and performances uh, across the pitch really there was there was a lot of 
needle in that game, mm. in that performance from City, which I think Pep Guardiola would have liked to see. Bernardo Silva was running around, tackling like an obsessed man. Raheem Sterling in the final few minutes of the game was getting really uh, stressed as well. You know, not necessarily for any good reason, but it was showing the fans at least that after this game, they properly cared. Right, and after the the Champions League exit in that extraordinary match against Spurs midweek, Michael, of course, you predicted that that game at the Etihad, the the Champions League quarterfinal, would be tight and cagey, and you know that can happen to anyone. Uh, <laughs> what did you think as you were watching it, the one on Wednesday? Uh, I thought it was a very strange game because. I think the first five shots went in, didn't they? So it, yeah. was, a, it was a very strange one. I mean, I, 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 stand, I think I said the City should play it cautiously, mm. which I agree with, because as soon as it turns into an epic thriller like that, it means they can't lose by one goal right. because of the away goals rule. So I think it was it was beneficial to Tottenham that the game was like that in a way. This game was a bit more like what you thought it would be. Yeah, it was a strange one. I was at this game, actually. Okay. Um, and the first 10 minutes, I thought City were going to run riot because Spurs is starting 11 was based entirely upon rotation rather than tactics they ended up playing almost six natural defenders which reminiscent of the North Korea team in the 2010 World Cup <laughs> with nothing else um, but Spurs had really good chances four or five really good chances mm. and Edison was clearly the man of the match and I think it's quite possibly the first time this season maybe even since he's got to City that Edison has been man of the match because he he doesn't have to do much in general but here City really needed him and it was almost him against Son in a kind of individual duel at one point. Mm. The injury to Kevin De Bruyne uh, mars the occasion a little bit for Man City. Fernand- who came on from? Was it Fernandinho? Fernandinho. Who's suddenly fallen out of Pep's... He seemed like an automatic starter for a while, and uh, of late Pep's decided that he actually doesn't need a defensive midfielder. Yeah, I, th- I think there's been some fitness issues as well, but I thought City actually improved when he came on in terms of not being so vulnerable to counter-attacks. I think Gundogan can play that role, but I prefer Gundogan push further forward into the position where City have so much competition. Mm. So I'd be surprised if Fernandinho didn't start against Manchester United. Is there an issue with the way City are bringing Kevin De Bruyne back from injury each time, given that he always seems to get injured again? I'm not a physiotherapist. Okay, (laughs) The numbers are not... De Bruyne's missed 26 games with injury this season. 47% of their season. Mm. Anyway. I think you just shut him down for the rest of the season. Yeah, I think, and, and give him... And give him the summer, give him all the preseason to, to get back healthy, get back confident in his in his physical conditioning. Because clearly, this I think it's pretty demoralising for any kind of player. Even you have to see kind of what Vincent Company went through as well um, in terms of you know just being healthy to play consistently. And they've shown they are able to. Obviously, it's it's better when they have De Bruyne, uh, but they've shown they've been able to cope without him for much of this season. Um, so, yeah, I think. It would be in his interests that they they basically just say, go go on holiday, get healthy, come back next year. Right. City then with their 10th straight Premier League win in this victory over Spurs. Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Well, I mean, it was interesting, um, was it this time last year, where City raced into a first half league, thought um, the, uh, the game was done, and that allowed United back in. And United came back and won 3-2. Um, I think that's the only kind of uh, circumstances... Um, in which um, yeah, they can perhaps hope to get something United. However, I think what, what's different to, to last year is obviously City are in a much closer title race where their concentration levels are going to be much higher and they are not going to take their foot off the gas in the way that they did uh, then. So I think it's more likely to be a United try and contain and 
uh, and nick something um, um, because I think most you know, City are going to City are going to dominate this game. It's the kind of game you can imagine Mourinho spoiling his way to something from like a point. But does Solskjaer have that in his tactical locker? Well, I think they have done that to a certain extent in away games at, at uh, Arsenal and, and Spurs and Chelsea. To a certain extent, I, I just don't think they're very good defensively, so I don't think they'll be able to withstand pressure for for ninety minutes. Um, just on City, a word for Phil Foden, who mm. came into the side, only his second Premier League start, his first Premier League goal. I thought he was really, really bright, not just his goal. He gave City some drive and freshness and determination. And with De Bruyne being out, almost certainly out for Wednesday, I think there's a decent chance Foden could start, actually. Guardiola was asked about it afterwards, and he gave a look as if to say he hadn't really considered his selection for the game. But he was really bright. He's, he's um, a really talented player. It's notable how two-fitted he is how he receives the ball in a really confident way. He's got this, kind of reminds me of a young Jack Wilshire, almost a kind of cockiness on the ball. And I think he could play a, a decent, I mean, obviously scoring a winner in this game is a, a big enough role, but I think we'll see him uh, start at least once before the end of the season. I still wonder long-term what is the pathway for him into this into this team on a regular basis, because we all know how hyped he is, how much talent he's got, but it remains that yeah, the players in front of him are David Silva, Kevin De Bruyne when he's fit, Bernardo Silva. It's really hard to get into that team. Um, so, And he needs to play. We've not just seen it this weekend, but in the Carabao Cup games that he started, in the FA Cup games that he started, he should be playing Premier League football yeah, week in, week out. And I'm not entirely sure whether City can offer him that even short term um, because... Yeah, there's just so much competition for places in that team. Mm. And one final thing then. James, was it you talking recently about how we never get to see the third act of Marco Silva? I can't remember, James, but I oh. can't remember what I have for breakfast most days. Right. So. Well, just to bring you up to speed then, we've seen his brilliant starts and we've seen his subsequent slumps. What we're seeing now at Everton seems to be things finally coming together for him. Is he the future? I think he is, yeah. Um, I think he's actually found uh, a, a starting eleven. Um, yeah, that is working for Everton. Particularly, you look at that that front four that they've got now. I think Calvert Lewin, even though he um, didn't score the week, his movement and he just seems to make things happen for them. Be a good kind of reference point. And yeah, the the, the three guys that they've got playing off him now that Richarlison in particular is playing out wide. Bernard on the other side. They've got they've got a lot of talent. It's interesting to see Schneiderlin at the weekend, sort of again having a, not his third act. It, well, maybe it is after um, what Southampton, United, and Everton finally. Mm. But I think there are there are, there are good things going there. What, what I think is very interesting about uh, Marco Silva is when Jose Mourinho came to prominence for, for Porto, he had a huge impact upon the nature of Portuguese coaching. And I think the main tenant of Mourinho's coaching philosophy, particularly at that time, was he was almost a completely reactive manager. He didn't necessarily have a plan A. He was all about scouting the opposition, reacting, forming specific plans. The two Portuguese managers in the Premier League this year, Marco Silva, Nuno Espirito Santo, both have been really good at getting results against big teams, mm. but have often been really sloppy against, against the weaker teams. And I think that's almost a kind of Portuguese coaching philosophy now. Um, by the way, did have one or two Everton fans suggesting that we wouldn't give them any credit for actually winning this game and it would be all blah, 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 Man United. But here comes a tweet from Tim van der Laan, uh, fellow blue here. And it's kind of annoying how often our fans whine about this stuff. We're not the main story because we finish between 7th and 11th every year and no one listening cares. It's up to us to change that. The guys on the pod are pretty fair to us, in my opinion. <laughs> wow. Yeah, nice one, Tim van der Laan. <laughs> 
So there I was, sitting in the chair, yeah. getting me Man United Premier League winners tattoo updated. Okay. And the big lad with the ink, right, right. is halfway through. Yeah. And then... Aguero! Don't worry, mate, because with Paddy Power's money-back specials, not all mistakes cost you as much. We're offering money back as a free bet if Aguero scores against United. Paddy Power, home of the money-back special. Selected markets only applies to first bet on all losing goal scorer, correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10 as a free bet. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGumbleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Michael, when you were last here, you told us that your session with Adam Hurry at 7pm on Thursday, the 23rd of May, was sold out. But due to popular demand, you'll be doing another sitting of zonal marking, the making of modern European football, at 9pm. So is that straight after? You're going to do them back to back? Straight afterwards, 9pm, we'll have more nudity and violence. <laughs> right, so go for the early one if you can. 7pm uh, and 9pm. <laughs> Tickets are £7.50 each. Or you can get a festival pass for £30, which gets you into all five events. I think it's probably six or six events now at the festival, featuring totally football favourites like Daniel Story, Carl Anker and more. All the details, London Festival of footballwriting.org. And remember, if you enter the promo code TOTALLY at the checkout, you'll get 20% off. Do you reckon there are any major fanboys who will do the back-to-back cocks just to... <laughs> yeah. like? People did with, you know, yeah. the Grateful Dead or whatever and map out the slight differences in the set list. Let's hope so. Mm-hmm. Liverpool, Cardiff. Jack, it was nervous, wasn't it? Did you think, ooh, it's all going to end here? Um, when Sean Morrison was free for that, I was going to call it header, but it was a backer. Backer, yeah, yeah. that was a, a guilty charge. I, I don't really know what he was doing there because he, he is very I don't good. Think he did either. He is very good in the air, what usually. The thing is with Morrison is he's been used almost exclusively this season as a flick on merchant. And it was like when he found himself at the far post, he couldn't get it into his head that he had to head it that way rather or than onto behind his him. head. Yeah. Or, yeah. Maybe he was going for a scorpion kick and then just sort of. <laughs> I don't know. Copped out at the last minute. Just like... But between that and the various misses, uh, Fer- uh, Firmino and, uh, and, and Henderson, it did, it did have the look of a game that was just going to be oh. where Liverpool's challenge petered Allison out. He made a big save, I thought, yeah. on Nias, which didn't get completely overlooked. But I thought from that kind of range. Um, is is often a often a goal that goes in. Uh, also, you can talk about the the penalty uh, decision that uh, Cardiff felt should have gone their way on you know when Robertson pulled Morrison as well. Ah. Um, I've seen those given. Um, well, no, you have, um, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I didn't think it was that nervous. Honestly, I thought that, yeah. I, I thought the fans were nervous mm. and maybe you know people who are watching at home were nervous I was because nervous, yeah. I think. Um, yeah, the, the big turning point in this game was the set piece that uh, unlocked it for for Liverpool, which which is all about players being calm under pressure and figuring out solutions um, in in difficult moments. Um, yeah, not something that they'd worked on in the training ground, but um, something that Ginny Wijnaldum had had seen um, in the build up to other corners, and basically had gone to Trent Alexander Arnold and said, "Put it this, put it here." And uh, we'll have a chance, and they did, and they scored from it. And I think that that is anything. That's everything but nerves. That's composure. Um, yeah, that's that's finding a way when you know others might lose their heads. So nice, nice puts them back one point ahead of Man City. Below them, then very exciting race for the top four. Chelsea play this evening, of course, 
But everybody else lost this weekend, so big chance for Mauricio Sarri's side to steal into third. Spurs, we mentioned their defeat, narrow as it was at City. United losing by a considerable margin at Goodison. And Arsenal defeated at home by the ever-surprising Palace. Now, this was a bewildering result. Firstly, because Arsenal had that amazing home record. Can't remember how many, how many games was it in a row they'd won? Nine. Nine. Secondly, because uh, Zaha had taken a picture with Drake bef- beforehand. <laughs> and most bizarrely, because Christian Benteke scored. Wow, Zaha broke the Drake curse. Well, actually, do you know, eagle-eyed listeners had previously pointed out that that Aguero picture, mm. which people had said was just before his penalty miss, wasn't it? It was before he scored a hat-trick in some other big fixture. So wow. the whole thing doesn't actually exist. Brilliant, no? Yeah. It's almost Things like some, someone read dead. something on social media and yeah. believed it. Yeah. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. I feel there's a lesson there. <laughs> Not sure what it might be. But anyway, Christian Benteke scored, Jack. He did. I... I've got a soft spot for him, I have to say. He's just from back, from back in his Aston Villa days when he really was a bottom half powerhouse, I would say. And mm. you could usually rely on him scoring on any given Saturday. And for a player to go through, uh, you know, what, what he went through at Liverpool, just didn't perform, probably went to Palace expecting some kind of redemption in surroundings in which he might feel a bit more comfortable, then to not do it there as well. And people agonising over your every uh, every game, every touch, basically. I think it's probably too far for him to come back now and really restore his reputation as a, a yeah. top-rate striker. As a bottom-half powerhouse. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Unless, like, Paul Lambert, the Benteke whisperer, you know, there's some kind of reunion there. Okay. Can you imagine? That'd I'm be great. This is, this is statistically is a real anomaly, this match, because it also featured a goal from Mesut Ozil. Yeah, but is it anomaly because Palace are so good away from home? Yeah, no, but I just mean those two players okay. on the score sheet in yeah. the same game. But, yeah, you're right, Palace. I mean, they did this at the Etihad, didn't they, to Man City? Yeah, I mean, they've they've been impressive partly because I think uh, Zaha got his eighth away goal um, of the season. Um, Roy Hodgson not particularly pleased with uh, uh, the interview or the interviewer um, of Zaha, um, who basically asked him if he he saw himself playing in the Champions League, would like to do that, and of course Zaha said, "Yes, I think I can play in the Champions League." Uh, I thought Hodgson's reaction to the win was quite curious actually because. He was asked had they worked on set pieces and had had they seen this as, as an area where they could hurt Arsenal. And he said, Well yeah, but did you see their defending? It wasn't it wasn't so much that their set pieces were very good. It was just Arsenal were, were very bad at, at defending them. Um yeah, be it Mavropanos giving the free kick free kick away for the first one, Jenkinson playing um Benteke um onside, mm. Mustafi being Mustafi, it was just a cluster Nightmare. Uh, nightmare. I, th- yeah. I thought when you said Jenkinson playing Benteke on side, you were just going to leave it Jenkinson playing. <laughs> yeah. well, I still don't know why he's playing Raven. for Arsenal. Why is it out? Raven saying, yeah. the pod reminisce fondly about the time Carl Jenkinson decided he was better off in the Arsenal reserves than Crystal Palace first team after his and his team's shocky yesterday. I mean, Arsenal basically enjoying the Europa League so much that they're determined to play in it next year as well. Is that the story here? Or oh, if they win the Europa League, they will be in the Champions well, that's League. That's true. So. That's true. Yeah, they, they were bad. I mean, you, Emery rotated the defensive section of the side and they had various players who I don't frankly I don't think are up to it Jenkinson being the main one Mustafa you have to say I mean he's a World Cup winner and cost 35 million pounds but the number of really basic defensive mistakes he makes the, the first goal was quite bad I think he lost his man there but the second one he just stops running I mean I can only think that he's just trying to be lazy and trying to block mm. the runner rather than uh, run defended properly but that was absolutely dreadful and then to have um, the goal to 
to you have know, a go at the goalkeeper. Ball at yeah. Burnt Leno, who was 15 metres away. Well done to Palace, who are now mathematically safe. As for those last two top four spots, who's going to get them? Spurs run in, sees them take on Brighton on Tuesday. That's a huge game. Then they are at home to West Ham, then away at Bournemouth. <laughs> Bournemouth. And then Everton at home to finish off. They've got two semis with Ajax in between and a really, really thin squad. Yeah, I thought Pep Guardiola's sort of argument at the weekend that there was no pressure on Spurs in this game um, because if you look at their running, three of their four games are at home. And I think perhaps that was... Um, an acknowledgement of the effect of Spurs' new stadium on, mm. on, on that team. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is in Spurs' hands. Um, you look at Brighton, West Ham at home and Everton at home as well. Only Bournemouth, Bournemouth away, I mean. So if Spurs take one of those spots, who's going to get the other one? You've got Arsenal. I mean, Man United we talked about. There's still only two points off the top the top four. Arsenal's run in as Wolves away on Wednesday, then Leicester away, Brighton at home, and they finish away at Burnley which is just the kind of game that, well, we'll see, I guess. Chelsea, meanwhile, they have United away next weekend, Watford at home and Leicester away. Oh, the, the fixtures are fairly tough. All of those teams have games they could lose. And I think I've got a sneaking suspicion Arsenal will just about cling on to it. Yeah, I, I think I'd go along with that. It's worth pointing out that there's still a situation where the fourth place won't matter if Arsenal or Chelsea win the Europa League and finish outside the top four. And uh, Spurs win the Champions League and finish outside the top four. Right. So a lot of teams finishing outside the top four. I'm not sure who'd be in at that point. <laughs> well, Arsenal the and Manchester United, presumably. Right. But I mean, it's not it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Right. It looks it looks like it'll be Arsenal-Chelsea in the Europa final. Well, that's with. interesting. This kind of convergence of the twain. The two teams basically inching towards an extraordinary all-London affair in Baku, Azerbaijan. <laughs> yeah. On May the 29th. One uh, interesting... Uh, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. No, but let's do it. I'm really fascinated. It, when Arsenal played... Uh, was it Bate Borisov earlier in the season? Mkhitaryan couldn't play there because of political reasons. Ooh. It'd be interesting to see whether they try and find some kind of loophole for the final. I think they could muster a team without him, though. Emery does quite often. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Arsenal will have to get past Valencia, of course, in the semi-final for this derby to happen. Valencia, who looked pretty good in their quarterfinal, overcoming Villarreal in, in a local derby of their own, 5-1 on aggregate. Chelsea, meanwhile, will be up against Frankfurt, who put out the much-touted Benfica on away goals after a 2-0 win. Yeah, really impressive, Frankfurt. They were great in the group stages. I don't think they dropped a single point. Mm. And they were in a group with Marseille, who were in the final last year. Uh, and Lazio, who fancy themselves in this competition. And then since then, they've beaten all teams that have dropped from the Champions League. Um, so Shakhtar, Inter, Benfica. And the Benfica performance was really impressive because they went down to 10 men early in the first leg at the Daluge and still managed um, to get two away goals, lose 4-2, but keep themselves in the tie. Um, I think that's a, a really difficult opponent uh, for, for Chelsea right. because particularly the atmosphere that they create uh, um, in Frankfurt it's incredible their support has been one of the kind of main takeaways from this Europa League campaign they've always taken thousands and thousands on the on the road with them and the atmosphere that they create at home is is really impressive so mm. Rafael Honigstein's tip for the Europa League title actually I drive Frankfurt what about 
What about Arsenal's quarterfinal against Napoli? Were you impressed with how, how they dealt with that tricky second leg? Yeah, I was very disappointed with Napoli. Um, I think, you know, given what we'd seen from them in the Europe in the group stages of the Champions League when they beat Liverpool at the San Paolo and should have beaten PSG at the Parc des Princes, they've been... They were woeful over both legs, I thought. Um, yeah, if they'd scored a couple of times at the Emirates, they did have chances with Insigne and, and Zielinski. Um, it might have been a different encounter, but Arsenal very composed, um, very mature performance, uh, I thought. Contained uh, Napoli really well. Um, great and free kick from Lacazette as well. Great free kick, bit suspect goalkeeping from, from Meret. Um, but... You know, Arsenal completely deserved to go through on what we saw from them in both legs. Um, and Emery going back to Valencia, which, uh, you know, where he had four years, finished third in three of them, even though they lost players like Villa, uh, Mata and David Silva in that time. So that'll be a, an interesting game. Nice. Jack, I know you were excited by David Luiz swapping shirts with himself <laughs> in the Chelsea Slavia Praha. Yeah, I can't give you many more details than that, but it was a ma- it- man in the mirror moment. Well, what happened? It was just a Slavia player who, who looked like got, got similar hair. Yeah. Okay, right. <laughs> Sarri says he's going to give up on half-time team talks after their collapse in the because they were three 0 up and then yeah yeah almost let. I do like Sarri's honesty. I mean, this has been a feature yeah. of the season where he said things he's not supposed to say, and in a second language as well. His first attempt, sort of in English. I would, I would love him to get top four because I think of the three going for the top four, he's the one who's come under the most criticism and has probably had the most uh, difficulties to overcome. Um, so, yeah, Forza Marizio. Because he's Italian as yeah, well. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> righty. Uh, ooh, on the subject of foreign things, titles have been sorted, Jack, in France and Italy this weekend. Paris Saint-Germain finally got across the line. They had a 3-1 win at home to Monaco. It was close, wasn't it? Yeah. Mbappé with a hat-trick against his former Neymar side. came back as well. Yeah. Just in time to Just in time. really feel his uh, supremacy with that team slip through He'll be fingers. useful in the late stages of the, what, the Coupe de France or something? Yeah, or Copa America for Brazil, of course. Oh, yeah. Seems to always have an injury. He's coming back for it every big tournament. Mm, nice. And in Italy, Juve had a big Saturday because they wrapped up their eighth straight title and their women's team got their second straight with a victory over Verona. They did indeed. They've uh, yeah, gone back to back. Uh, Juventus women's team has only started um, two years ago and uh, they've already cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Enia Luco um, getting her, her first title as well. Finished the top scorer for Juventus' women's team as well. So you'll have to see what they do in the Champions League. Uh, on the subject of the men's team, AT asks, is anyone going to break Juve's stranglehold on Serie And who do you think it will be? Not in the short term, unless they make some big mistakes in the summer. Okay. I think that's often what gets overlooked about um, them winning for eight years in a row. They've made so few mistakes. Um, that said, there, there is an area of the team which they've neglected. Midfield? Yeah. Yeah. No, I think um, that has to be an area which they, they look to improve in the summer. Obviously, Aaron Ramsey's coming in, although he's, he's injured at the moment. Mm. Um, I think they do need uh, some more inventiveness and more creativity there. Um, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with someone like Paolo Dybala in the summer as well. Um, yeah, I mean, Ramsey's a super, um, superb addition. I'm really excited to see how he yeah. does. But they really need someone to, as I like to say, put their foot on the ball and really yeah, just I take think the reins in Pjanic is not enough on his own. Um, that they, they need someone else. You know, Even Modric needs Tony Kroos. So mm. you know, I think Juventus needs someone like that. I think that's the big difference between 
this team and the one that reached the final back in 2015 when they exceeded expectations, they had a better midfield then with um, Pirlo, Pogba, Marquisio and Vidal. I think that's um, they've got better in other areas, uh, particularly in in the final third, but I think in midfield that 2015 team was better. Right. Ooh, next up, we head down to the bottom of the Premier League for Brighton's battling point at Wolves. Boom. Hello and welcome to a brand new podcast for TV fans by TV fans, dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand. When I first got into this, I was worried about bad reviews and then I realised it didn't hurt. But I say thank you to the nice ones. On my Sky Planner, you will see things like wheeler dealers, the world's most luxurious airliners. <laughs> it's Mr Saturday Night himself. It's Sam O'Leary. Ready for your Tuesday morning commute. Series linked with me, Emma Bullymore and Mark Jeffries. Drama at Molyneux this weekend in what could have been the FA Cup final, actually, Wolves v Brighton. That would have been an exciting game, wouldn't it, Jack? On this evidence, it would have been okay. Well, it was dramatic. For I mean, Brighton withstood a barrage from Wolves. Wolves were fairly dominant. Brighton set up, really, just to, to keep them out. Brighton's strength, obviously, over the last couple of seasons has been their defence, which has obviously disintegrated just a touch over the last few weeks. But this seemed to be something of a return to form. But they still got a bit lucky here and there. I mean, Diego Jota hit the woodwork twice. Uh, Wolves were knocking at the door. Matt Doherty had a, a decent chance as well. You'd have to say that it's a very good point for Brighton going to Wolves. and Pretty much. Especially with, with Cardiff losing the next day. It's going to take a massive uh, turnaround from Cardiff's point of view. Because Cardiff now need to make up three points and their goal difference is yeah. massively worse. than, than That's like a, a point. Or is it half a point of difference? Somewhere between 0.01 and 0.99 points, but definitely not a full point. Because <laughs> you've done the numbers on this, is that right? Mm. Yeah, anyway, so, but it's Cardiff massively They still haven't scored Brighton in five games. Yeah. Oh, six, actually. Is it six, scored yeah. in six. But they still have better goal difference than Cardiff, which is impressive. <laughs> Wolves had 47 shots in their two games against Brighton without scoring an either. This season, I mean, mentioned it earlier, but mm. to have not scored against Brighton and to have lost two to Huddersfield, and they lost against Cardiff, and they drew it home to Fulham. I mean, you have to think that that will be a major improvement, area of improvement next season, and they will push towards that top six. Mm. Will they turn up against Arsenal midweek? I think you'll give Arsenal a tough game. Wolves, yeah, yeah. Um, you would like to think that Arsenal will uh, bring back some of their better defenders and will. They'll, they'll have to uh, defend better against Jimenez and, and Hotter, who again combined very well here. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's a tough one for Arsenal. Only one win in five for Wolves. So, you know, it, it kind of ever since that FA Cup run, it's... It's interesting though, because you've got, what, four teams within a point uh, mm. from, from seventh to tenth. And financially, there's a big difference between finishing tenth and seventh. So there is some incentive still there in terms of the prize money. So, And seventh will get you into the Europa League as well. Unless Watford win the FA Cup. Unless Watford win the FA Cup, which could happen. Yep. We can beat Man City a mm. year or two ago. Johnny Blaine pointing out regarding this Brighton draw at Wolves, Davy Proper is the first outfield player to start a match and have no touches <laughs> since Jason Roberts for Blackburn against West Ham in December 2010. Both admittedly were subbed off in the 10th minute. But okay. still, interesting to take the field and leave the field without ever touching the ball. Newcastle beats Saints with a hat-trick from Ayoise Perez. Rafa Benitez speaking afterwards about 
the fact that his contract is still no nearer to being resolved, worrying, worrying words for Newcastle fans. Is he going to stay? I wouldn't think so. Where do you think Not he'll under go, the current owners. Well, within the Premier League, what jobs are going to come up which would tempt him? Hmm. We're in the realms of pure speculation here. <laughs> we are, I know. But, you know, I mean, he's still on the contract at Newcastle at the mm. moment, so okay. it would be immoral to do that. I, yeah. I hope he saves. He's, he's doing a Well, I'm sure Newcastle job. fans do as well, but yeah. I, I think it is very much still a, uh, a reflection of the owners rather mm. than on, on Rafa. Okay. West Ham and Leicester uh, shared the points in a 2-2 draw. Was that Harvey Barnes's first goal? Yes. Because he was another of those players like Benteke who was way up in the charts of yeah. shots without... So this time last week, the, the four players with the highest XG without a goal uh, were Benteke, who scored, yeah. um, Morrison, who scored in midweek, right? Harvey Barnes has scored, and oh. Nias came close to scoring. Oh, so Nias is, is the one who's been left behind. Yes. Poor chap. Jamie Vardy got another goal. Great goal. It was a good goal. Mm. He does score good goals, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. Nice timed runs, good finishes. Very, I do like watching Vardy. Very minor annoyance about this game is the Lucas Perez's disallowed what would have been a second goal and would have taken the game away on, on match of the day. This doesn't happen very often, but very occasionally on TV replays of tight offside incidents, they'll pause it at the wrong time. So they paused it before the uh, Pedro Obiang struck the ball and said, look, he's onside there. But the ball... Where they had paused it was not on Obiang's foot. It's annoying. You're all, yeah, you're all nodding and. Uh, no, I mean, you know, what can I. I think Lucas Perez is the footballer who I've forgotten about and then Rem- been reminded of the most. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. I just forget. Uh, at Arsenal, I forgot he existed and then mm. he played in the. He was Carl Jenkinson's Cup. that person for me. <laughs> he, he is up there, to be fair. You've also got to love a, a really misplaced uh, player pointing to the number on his shirt celebration. Mm. That really has to be the reserve of someone who's contributing frequently, I think. Whereas Lucas Perez, like, yeah, Lucas <laughs> Perez, that's my name. Because <laughs> Iosi Perez was, was right. you know, trying to take that name and but ownership people of like it. Michael forget his name then it's probably quite a good thing for it's a public service yeah yeah okay uh also this weekend Watford got a 2-1 win over Huddersfield with poor old uh, Jan Sivert going mental on the sideline did you see that he gave it the full flung water bottle after Huddersfield missed a chance which you know it's not the first time it's happened nor will it be the last so I'm not sure what it was that particularly enraged him there but there's a lot of talk of unhappiness at the club uh, but they have reached 20 goals now so they've they pulled level with Derby on goals scored in a season. Great goal from Delaferro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how many good goals has he scored in 2019? I mean, the the one in the semi final. He, he he does the same sort of thing where he's he he basically stands still and then just bamboozles people with you know by wiggling his right foot and then mm. just picks it picks out a spot. Oh yeah, Special. now I'm remembering the goal. Yeah, yeah. I, I really like him and Ayotzi Perez. I think they're the two players who I'd most like to see go to a big club. Because I think they could break out into like a really, you know, twenty goals a season if they well, play for Arsenal. It was a Barcelona and a Milan. Yeah, well, okay, <laughs> to, you know, to get a to get a run in a decent Premier League team. I mean, right. but it'd be cool if Spain had a B team and played those two up front together. I'd, I'd pay money to watch that. Brilliant. <laughs> also, this weekend, Fulham beat Bournemouth one 0 Scott Parker, yay! Because he now had uh, two wins in a row. Now, a lot of people were saying, oh, yeah, Scott Parker and that. And even when he got that win against Everton last time. But this is two wins in a row and two clean sheets in a row as well. So something's happening at Fulham, Michael. Teams are underestimating Fulham. I don't know. What's going on? 
I expect a lot of it is they're now playing with the pressure off. Okay. And I must say, the fact that they've now kept clean sheets and have started winning games, I actually think less of Fulham. <laughs> I think it reflects really badly upon the rest of their season. Okay. That they're suddenly starting to play. There was a great quote from someone called, I think, Stablo FFC on mm-hmm. Twitter, who said, the role of Fulham now is like the loose horse in the Grand National. <laughs> they're out of it themselves, but they're just bringing down everyone else. <laughs> Brilliant. As for Bournemouth, is Eddie Howe now straying into nominative determinism? (laughs) I mean, it's it's going really badly for them. Yeah, 18 defeats this season. 18 defeats. Wow. I'm not the only person this season to dig out Sergio Rico, Mm -hmm. but I thought he made a couple of spectacular saves in this. He also looks like Hugo Lloris but put through a pasta maker. <laughs> He's like a slightly stretched out Hugo Lloris. Oh, I have, see. Have a look. <laughs> mark, mark my legs. Stretch Lloris. Yeah. Okay. Good. Uh, championship. There's a full round of championship fixes on this Easter Monday evening. And it's all getting very exciting indeed. It's football every day this week, apart from Thursday. Apart from Thursday. Yeah. Nobody likes playing on a Thursday, of course. At the weekend, Sheffield United moved back into second place in the Championship. They beat Nottingham Forest 2-0. Wigan doing them a favour by beating Leeds at Ellen Road. Aston Villa, meanwhile, you remember their extraordinary eight-game winning run. They made it nine and relegated Bolton in the process. Next up, Villa will try for ten in a row against a Millwall side that's only three points from the drop that's fresh from a 1-1 draw with 10-man Brentford and those ugly, ugly scenes. Did you see the ugly scenes, Michael? Yeah, it was excellent, yeah. It was extraordinary. <laughs> so, so I didn't see... Now, the clip I've seen doesn't show the original tackle that leaves a player writhing. Mm. Uh, but basically, after that, at, at least three more players go down for no reason whatsoever. They square up and then one player will fall over and then somebody else will square up against the antagonist there and he'll fall over. Yeah. And I, so I, on I and actually so thought forth. the first one was worthy of going down. Yeah, I agree was it? with that. I I think it was, was uh, Aidan O'Brien, I think. Yeah. Yeah, he properly leaves a bit on him. The second two are, are fairly spurious. Right, OK. I'm sure they'll be talking about that and so much more, including Monday night's results, in Tuesday's Totally Football League show, which will be presented by Matt Davis-Adams, who's got some brilliant stories about co-commas that we're dying to hear next time he's in the Totally Football show. Anyway, did Pauk win the title in Greece? And what's going on in the Eredivisie? We'll reveal all after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Barcelona have got nine points clear in Spain, James. They beat Real Sociedad by some goals. Oh, Jordi Alba scored, Michael. Yeah, I love Jordi Alba. Good. Excellent. Germany, Bayern Munich are still one point clear. They beat Werder Bremen 1-0. Dortmund absolutely... Hammered Freiburg 4-0. Jaden Sancho scoring again. In Italy, there's an episode, There's a similarly exciting uh, race for the last Champions League spot. Is that fair? Because Juve are now champions and Napoli are going to be second. And Inter are five points clear in third. And then you've got Milan, Roma, Atalanta, who have a game in hand, Torino and Lazio, five teams all within four points of each other. Yeah, so Napoli play Atalanta tonight. Um, and Atalanta have got a good record um, at the San Paolo. Frustratingly, they have dropped points because I think they, sh- they should be fourth. They've dropped points at home against Chievo in that crazy game 
uh, was it last Monday night uh, against Empoli where they had 17 shots? Oh, the Dragowski game. <laughs> uh, the Dragowski made 17 saves. Yeah, sorry. That was like a, a European record. It yeah. was unbelievable. Their XG was like six and it ended nil-nil. Mm. Um, yeah, big point for Roma against Inter um, at the weekend. Uh, there's the Debbie d'Italia um, next uh, Saturday. But we'll talk about this on Golazzo, James. Oh, so, good idea. Yeah. Brilliant. Holland. Everyone's an Ajax fan these days, aren't they, Jack? And they Certainly. are top of the Eredivisie, but only by goal difference. What what an exciting title race there. Ajax had a nervy 1-0 win against Grunigan. Klaas-Jan Huntelaar scoring a late win and then getting sent <laughs> off. As, why are you chuckling, Huntelaar? No, it's just funny that he scored and then got sent off. Oh, right. Uh, taking Ajax to 156 goals for the campaign, which is a club record. I liked when you said that they're ahead on goal difference. Yeah. Um, particularly when you put... PSV have scored 92 goals this season, which isn't too shabby, particularly no. when third place final have, have scored 67. So, I mean, these two are still, these two at the top are scoring at, I would say, unprecedented levels, mm. James. Certainly sounds like it if yeah. it's a club record. PSV had a 3-1 win for themselves against Den Haag. The Eredivisie with the best club names. That, that, that is going to go uh, the distance in a very literal sense because they've extended the league season exactly. to make space for Ajax's uh, Champions League game. So the Dutch FA have postponed a full round of Eredivisie fixtures to give Ajax at least two full days of rest between games. Not only Ajax, but all Dutch football benefits from this, said the league. I would probably argue that if I was PSV. Mm, I agree. I don't see how they benefit. It would be massively beneficial for them, for Ajax to be tired for big league games. That's true. It's interesting. We're seeing a little bit more of that because it was it Ren who had their game yeah. postponed between PSG the as well. Mm. Um, but that was um, Gilets Jaunes time as well, so they were able oh, to yeah. kind of say, you know, well, there were loads of games suspended over that, weren't there? Yeah, but oh. but I think there was there was one where it was kind of felt a little bit convenient as well. Uh, Pauk have had games suspended in the past. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but on this occasion, this weekend, they were able to complete the 90 minutes in which they crushed Levadiakos 5-0, helping themselves to the Greek league title for the first time in 34 years. Quiet, restrained celebrations followed. Proper flared up. Lit. Good. Uh, time now for us to continue the fun by getting the odds on the games coming up. Producer Ben has been talking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power is on the line. He's always on the line at this time of the show, listeners. I don't know why you're fast-forwarding it. Uh, Lee, let's start with the Manchester derby. United were absolutely shocking against Everton. They are... Apparently, the last thing between City and uh, retaining the Premier League title, which is very painful for a Liverpool fan. Um, what are the odds, please, on City putting at least six past United, as they did at Old Trafford once upon a time? <laughs> yeah, the first time it happened, it was a real shock, wasn't it? This time, though, after that turgid Everton performance, it probably wouldn't be. And that is reflected in the odds. It's just 100-1 to 1 that City win this 6-1, or 30-1 to 1 that they score six or more goals. United at home are 11 to 2 to win this, which is almost unprecedentedly long, while City are odds on, of course, 2 to 5 to win. And our money back special this week does look tempting. Money back as a free bet if Aguero scores, he usually does. That applies to selected markets only, pre match singles only, max free bet £10, T and C's apply. Chelsea, of course, playing Burnley this evening, but Arsenal, Spurs, and United are all losing at the weekend. So, what's going to happen with the race for third and fourth place here? 
Hmm. The race no one wants to win, isn't it? We're pretty sure it would be two London teams that make it. Brave call that, I know. With the shortest odds on Chelsea and Tottenham completing the top four. That's 11-10. to 10, Or you can get 17-10, to 10, slightly longer, on Tottenham and Arsenal joining City and Liverpool in the top four club. If you do fancy United getting in there, and you have had your head checked, it's 5-1 to one they stage a remarkable comeback. And just outside of that, of course, are Watford. Can they hold on for seventh? We say yes. Uh, we price them at evens to finish seventh, which gives them a 50-50 chance. But their rivals do trail in the betting. Wolves are 23-10, resurgent Everton 11-4, and Leicester are 22-1. While you can get 275-1 on West Ham finishing seventh. But why on earth would you want to bet on that? And we've talked about him briefly. Is Rafa going to be the Newcastle manager next season? Or will he be elsewhere? I love the mind games in this one. They're great, aren't they? We think Rafa will stay. It's odds on that he's Newcastle boss for the first game of next season. But that is getting tighter and tighter as the days go by. Possibly because he's joint favourite to be the next Valencia manager at 11-2. And he is third in the betting for Celtic job. But that won't happen. Instead, though, with Newcastle promising £100 million to spend on transfers, the eternal gratitude of supporters and probably a statue of his head or something, we expect him to stay. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. Thanks for staying with us, listener. And you were absolutely right to do so because Jack's about to drop a talking point bomb. I just thought we should mention the PFA Player of the Year lists. Okay. Is it a controversial one? It appears to be in some quarters, but mainly about the definition of the young player. Okay, so this is the award that the players themselves vote for. Yeah. And it, what is it, a six-man shortlist for each? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the the main one is Virgil van Dijk, Raheem Sterling, Sadio Mane, Sergio Aguero, Bernardo Silva and Eden Hazard. And the, the controversy seems to be the Young Player of the Year list, in which includes both Sterling and Bernardo Silva, despite the fact they're on the on the main one, which always seems to cause a little bit of a, a kerfuffle. And the other ones on there are David Brooks, Declan Rice, Marcus Rashford and Trent Alexander-Arnold. Michael, what's your thoughts? Well, I think it's, it's, it's between uh, Van Dyke and Sterling for the main one. I, I tend to think that one will go to Van Dyke. Sterling will probably win the young one. I think Sterling will probably win the Football Writers Player of the Year as well. Is there as there usually is, a big name whose absence from these lists is almost inexplicable. Not from the main one. I think the big contenders are there. A lot of people are upset at Aaron Wambasaka's absence from the young player, um, which again, I think comes you know it comes back to the fact Sterling and Bernardo Silva in it. I mean, Sterling was nominated for the Young Player of the Year Award back in 2014, solidly five years ago. So um, he's played more Premier League games than for example Nemanja Vidic did in his entire Premier League career so he's uh, <laughs> he's been around quite a lot uh, quite a long time to be on a young player list well no I do think that Son should mm. well it has a case to be on the top six it's, I think it's very difficult to split hairs between the guys who are on there um, but that did stand out for me given not just how many goals he scored but how many big goals he scored uh, from the mid-season and how often he's taken that team on his shoulders uh, in Kane's absence. Um, you know, I think for, for a team like Spurs who, you know, as we all know, have been building a stadium and don't think they should buy any players, it's, you know, to see his continued progression, um, particularly after that first year he had, is, I think he's probably got a very good case to be considered the best Asian player of all time. Son. Wow, there you go. On the, on the young players list, I think 
it would be an idea to do it as as they do in a number of other countries to not have an age bracket on it but for it to be uh, first season effectively or the revelation of the year not necessarily okay. first season because you know you can imagine a case in which someone played the last three games of last season but really this was their, their coming out party if you will mm. and so from that point of view David Brooks is the kind of player I think should be on the list who is on the list and Juan Basaka is would qualify under a a looser definition than hasn't for this. Brilliant. Well, listen, thank you so much for being with us today, Jack and James and Michael. We will return on Thursday with, of course, some midweek action to tell you all about. Daniel Story will be here, Carl Anker as well, and Duncan Alexander. So hopefully, listen, you'll join us for that as well for now. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. And don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts, and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.